Hi, everybody. I'm Karen, and welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast. I was 23 years old when I got sober, and I thought my life was over. My definition of happiness has changed quite a bit in all that time. So to read this today just really brought me back to the beginning and how I thought I'll never have fun again. You know, I'll never be happy again. I'll miss all those things that I thought, you know, I was supposed to have in my life. Sobriety just gave me so much more than I ever thought was possible. Welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast. My name is Michael Lynn from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And I'm Lee McGinnis from Leesburg, Virginia. As members of the recovery community, we created this podcast as a way to provide experience, strength, and hope through the lens of the Daily Reflection book. Each day, we interview members of the recovery community in the hope that their experience may provide inspiration. We value inclusion and diversity, and we really want to provide a platform for all the voices of recovery. We aren't affiliated with any 12-step or recovery program, but you may hear these mentioned throughout the course of an interview. Hey, before we get to the show, I'd like to ask a favor. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, it'd be great if you could leave us a comment or a rating. This is going to do a couple of things. It's going to help us expand our reach and improve the show. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks so much to Jeff Bain, Frederick Maryland for editing services. Appreciate your help. So today is April 26th, and we have Karen from Southwest Florida in the studio with us. And we are reading the daily reflection for today, which is happiness is not the point. All right. Well, welcome, Karen. It's great to have you on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. So we get started in the same way every day. We ask the guests to read the Daily Reflection. Karen, would you help us get started? Absolutely. April 26th. Happiness is not the point. I don't think happiness or unhappiness is the point. How do we meet the problems we face? How do we best learn from them and transmit what we have learned to others if they would receive the knowledge? As Bill sees it, page 306. In my search to be happy, I changed jobs, married and divorced, took geographic cures, and ran myself into debt financially, emotionally, and spiritually. In AA, I'm learning to grow up. Instead of demanding that people, places, and things make me happy, I can ask God for self-acceptance. When a problem overwhelms me, AA's 12 steps will help me grow through the pain. The knowledge I gain can be a gift to others who suffer with the same problem. As Bill said, when pain comes, we are expected to learn from it willingly and help others to learn. When happiness comes, we accept it as a gift and thank God for it. As Bill sees it, page 306. Beautiful. I love that reading. Um, There's a lot there. And before we get started, what is your sobriety date, Karen? My sobriety date is April 16th, 1986. Awesome. As you read this reflection, what comes to mind for you right off the bat? Oh boy. Um, searching for happiness, which is something I struggled with very early on in sobriety, which is kind of funny when I look back at it now, because I was 23 years old when I got sober and I thought my life was over. My definition of happiness has changed quite a bit in all that time. So to read this today just really brought me back to the beginning and how I thought I'll never have fun again you know, I'll never be happy again. I'll miss all those things that I thought, you know, I was supposed to have in my life. Sobriety just gave me so much more than I ever thought was possible. Tell us a little bit about what it was like before you came in. 
Okay, I was born and raised in Stanford, Connecticut. I started drinking at an early age. Um, I started doing other stuff at the same time, uh, probably around 11 or 12. My father was an alcoholic. It was the elephant in the room. We never talked about it. We never talked about our feelings. Um, so I learned very early to suppress all that. And what I found with drinking was it was easier to do that. I didn't have to think anymore. I didn't have to feel anymore. And I just pushed all those things down. And the more I drank, the more I could push them away. Probably by the time I was 18 years old, I was drinking probably five out of seven days of the week. You know, it talks in this reading about growing up, and I feel like I never really grew up until I got sober. I didn't know how to express myself. I didn't know how to form meaningful relationships. Thought, as it's heard many times, that everyone else had this instruction manual that I never got. I, I was very unhappy. And when I was 23, uh, I decided my life was over, that I just, nothing was ever going to change. So I might as well just end it here and now. And I tried to commit suicide. And probably it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I, I feel like I took the first three steps while I was in the emergency room that night. I knew I was powerless over alcohol. I knew that there was something else out there. I wasn't quite sure of what it was. And at the time, I decided to turn my will and my life over to a power greater than myself, which at the time was the doctor who decided that I needed to go to this hospital, which would ultimately change my life and start me on the path of sobriety. I'm so glad you were unsuccessful. It's heartbreaking. No, and, you know, um, I'm a firm believer in that alcoholism is a family disease. Um, and strangely enough, so was suicide in my family. Uh, I'm one of six girls, and three out of six of us have attempted. None of us succeeded, thank goodness. Let's talk about what recovery was like. You said when you made it into the hospital, that's where you started on your path to recovery. So what was the introduction to Alcoholics Anonymous like and sponsorship and step work? You know, how did that sort of start to evolve for you? Well, it's funny because I didn't go to rehab to get sober. I went to the psychiatric hospital because I had tried to kill myself. And probably for the first two to three weeks, I was hiding out. I didn't quite understand what had happened. I wasn't quite sure where I was and what I was doing and how all of these therapies were going to help me. And fortunately, a nurse at that hospital one night decided that maybe I should go with part of the group to the Alcoholics Anonymous meeting that they brought into the hospital. I sat down at that meeting. It was a woman who was speaking who was probably around the same age, maybe a little older than myself. And I identified so much with her story, I knew it was where I belonged. And I probably hadn't felt that way in a really long time. I was talking to my sponsor about this the other night, and I said, I felt like I had exhaled for the first time in a really long time. And from that point on, I knew that I belonged in those rooms. And I didn't know that this was going to be a lifelong journey. I didn't know that 
how my life would change. But I knew that I needed to stay in that seat and own it. There was no place else for me to go. And this was it. And if I didn't make this, it was going to be over. But I knew deep down somewhere that this was it. This was the solution. This was the cure. This was what was going to change my life. And it did. I'm curious, what is it that you heard at that meeting that you identified so deeply with? Mostly it was feelings. It was the way this woman felt while she was drinking, how she was drinking. And the way she described it so resonated with me. And I had never been able to voice those feelings. So to hear someone else say it, and it just hit me so viscerally. I don't know if I cried or not, but I was so riveted. And I thought, that's it. That's what I haven't been able to describe. That's how I feel. And I was just blown away. The book talks about the power of one alcoholic sharing with another alcoholic. And we've shared on this show many times the the healing power of me too, you know, mm-hmm. and we're so isolated in our dysfunction out there. And then all of a sudden we hear somebody else has the same experience and we're not alone anymore. And I think that's when grace enters maybe and gives us an opportunity to listen for something else. So did you find a sponsor right away? Did you start working the steps right away? I was in the hospital for two months. When I left, they told me to don't drink, go to meetings, get a sponsor, raise my hand, and ask for help. Those five things have saved my life in this program over and over and over again. I did not get a sponsor right away. The first meeting I went to actually wasn't as Bill sees it meeting, which is funny that that's where the readings are from today. And it was a Thursday night at eight o'clock. I remember it vividly. And I met some people in that room that I'm still in touch with today. Probably about 10 people at that meeting. I don't think I understood a word they said. What one gentleman whom I adore said to me is, there's a women's meeting tomorrow night at seven o'clock at this clubhouse. Look for a woman named Kathy. And I went to the meeting the next night and I found Kathy and she became uh, my very, very, very good friend. Um, I I honestly believe she's the first woman in this program who saved my life. And there are many, but she scooped me up. She drove me, dragged me, brought me to any sort of meeting, event, job that she was a part of, and she was a part of everything. And I'm so grateful for her today. But I actually ended up, it was funny, because she she had about a year sobriety at the time. She said to me, don't want to be your sponsor, I want to be your friend. And so she was my first friend in AA. And I ended up asking her sponsor to be my sponsor. (laughs) So that was how I got my first sponsor. And I worked with her for a good Oh, probably about 10 years or so. And then I moved, got another sponsor. And now since I've moved to Florida, we've been here for about six years. I have my third sponsor, but I, I've always, always had a sponsor. One of the most important things that you can do for yourself in this program. How long before you got a sponsor and found yourself in recovery in the program, 
did you start to work the steps and start to see changes in your life? And, and maybe talk a little bit about what those changes looked like. My first sponsor uh, from day one had me reading the first three steps. Every time I called her with a problem, and it could be, my mother's driving me crazy, read the first three steps. I don't like my job, read the first three steps. There's a really cute guy who goes to the Thursday meeting, read the first three steps. So my first year, I must have read the first three steps over and over and over and over. And, you know, it's funny because, you know, you do what you know. And I have people that I sponsor that I do that with because it was so important to me. One of my favorite lines is from the first step. And it talks about being as willing to listen as only the dying can be. Um, That's that was me. I identified with that line so much. She was also one of those sponsors that would ask me, are you willing to go to any length? And I do that today too. <laughs> but I, I was so important. And I was, I was so willing in the beginning because I was scared to death that I would realistically, that a bottle would fly across the room and attach itself to my mouth. And so I would have done anything she said, anything. I only hope I'm as willing today. I'm sure sometimes I'm not, but I remember that. And I hope I never forget that because that willingness was what got me through many, many times. Even when she would tell me to do things that I thought, you know, come on, really? You know, I do it anyway. Um, She would have me look in the mirror and, tell myself that I liked me. And I thought that was a little, come on, you know, I did it every morning. And those little changes just made all the difference in the world. Those reading the first three steps every day, uh, getting down on my knees every night and every morning. Uh, She had me memorize the third step prayer. It is the only prayer I've been able to memorize. It is my favorite prayer. And I say it every day, twice a day. Um, You know, raising my hand, asking for help. Sometimes that's a tough one. But I know if I've got something running around my head, it needs to come out. Um, And she taught me that very, very early on, which was so important because I thought I was unique. I thought I was different. I thought I was the only one. And... I identified with so many people in the room. I was like, oh, I thought it was just me. And it wasn't, um, which was really, really important to learn. Um, One of my friends from that Thursday night meeting would just say all the time, you know, I'm just a regular old garden variety drought. And I needed to hear that all the time. I wasn't different. I wasn't unique. I was just another drunk in the room. And what they told me at the very beginning was that if I didn't drink and I came to meetings, things would get better. And they did. And I was completely shocked by that. I thought, like I said, my life was over at 23. And somebody else said, uh, strap yourself in, you're in for the ride of your life. And boy, was he he right. (laughs) There have been ups, there have been downs, but this program has always been consistent and has always been there for me. And I hope, you know, in some small way that I'm there for the next person. 
Well, I think you're definitely doing that now. You said you were sort of a lost 23 year old that was, hadn't learned how to grow up with no purpose in life. So today let's fast forward. In what ways have you grown up? What is, what are the promises looking like for you today? (laughs) A couple of years ago, I went through um, what's called an AWOL program. And it's uh, almost like a class going through the steps, through the big book with a group of women. I had never realized that there were so many other promises other than the nine step promises. You know, most of the steps do have promises, but I had never learned that. So there were so many things that had come true for me that I didn't even realize were coming true at the time. But growing up was, you know, in every single physically, mentally, spiritually, my first year of sobriety, I remember my friend Kathy and I, you know, would be sitting together talking about how broke we were. I didn't know how to save money. I didn't know how to, uh, you know, pay bills on time. I didn't know how to be a responsible adult. I didn't know how to have relationships. I didn't know how to talk to people. I didn't know how to listen, you know, because everything had been about me, me, me. And all of that I learned in this program. And by simple things, by working the steps, um, you know, by going through a fourth and fifth with my sponsor and just telling her every little thing that I thought I was going to take to the grave. And then going through and doing the eighth and ninth, which for me, were so spiritual. And it's funny because I really hadn't heard of another sponsor doing this. But what my sponsor did with me is had the eighth step list that we've gotten from four and five. And she said to me, go out and do three amends and then wait. Okay, (laughs) no problem. And the people that showed up in my life, who I've only seen once in 35 years, showed up during that wait And I was able to make those amends and it just floored me that and strengthened my bond with my higher power that it wasn't, again, it wasn't in my time. It was in his time. And again, it it just, it still absolutely amazes me. There's a number of people that I, they were going to be hard amends and I wasn't exactly looking forward to them. But, you know, in one instance, in the middle of Macy's at Christmas time, when they have all their decorations and their stars and their angels and everything else hanging from the ceiling, in walked this gentleman that I owed an amend to. And I was, I almost let him go. I almost walked by and my sponsor's voice was in my ear. And I said, this is it. I have to do this now. And I did it. And he, was unbelievable. And, you know, the point isn't necessarily about him forgiving me or anything like that, but just the way he looked at me and said to me, I'm just really glad you're okay. Just really, I can't even describe it, just filled me up spiritually. And I thought, okay, 
I can do this. I can really do this. And that was probably hmm, somewhere between one or two years of sobriety and has made it so much easier for me to do my 10, 11, and 12. And, you know, dealing with other people and admitting when I'm wrong and apologizing for that and meaning it. You know, I had apologized many times when I was drinking and didn't mean a word of it. And going through the eighth and ninth and learning, I didn't even know what to say. My sponsor, you know, walked me through the whole thing and I was not prepared for how meeting my higher power on that level would be. And today I I, I look back and I think, what was I so afraid of? You know, when I saw those steps on the wall, I'm like, oh, and today when I'm working with other people, you know, I, I share my experience, strength, and hope. And some of my sponsees have had, you know, similar experiences. And, you know, that's just another way that my higher power shows me that I'm doing the right thing. And I don't do that all the time, but the feeling that I've had from that is just amazing. And there have been times I've had to go back and do them again or added people to the list or had to write a letter. And I know how to do that now. And with my higher powers help, I can do it. I'm not alone. I love that. And it's just confirmation that God shows up in so many ways and uh, it's a wonderful thing. So if you had to give someone advice, maybe someone who's on the fence about uh, their life, maybe a young person, what would you tell the newcomer? There's so much. Um, Keep coming. You know, the most important thing I heard in the beginning, and it is still true today, is don't drink and go to meetings. You know, everything else is possible after that. If you can just not take a drink for a minute, an hour, a day, and you can get to a meeting. That's what I did for probably at least my first year and still sometimes today. Sometimes life happens and it's tough to get through the day. But if I can do that, I have a shot. And that's what's most important. Um, Because before I didn't have a choice, not at all. And my life was just going downhill and I didn't know what to do. And today, I have people in my life. I have books I can read. I have podcasts I can listen to, which this has been fantastic for me. And every day I get on and listen. And you guys are doing such a wonderful, wonderful service. And I had no idea you were out there, you know, so I'm learning. But if I just do one thing for today, and that's not drink everything else is possible. That is the best advice. If we, don't take to, if we don't take a drink today, we got all kinds of options. Karen, thank you so much for being part of this and stepping up in service and sharing your story. It's been beautiful and you did a fabulous job. Thank you so much. Thank you, Karen. Thank you guys. Um, the service you guys are doing, especially right now, I know a lot of people that are feeling very lonely and are really struggling and it's been tough for a lot of people myself included but to have you guys on and you know to hear the message every day the speakers you've had have been 
fabulous. Um, I look forward to this every day and I'm so glad I found you guys. So thank, thank you. you for your service. That means a lot to us. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to find us online, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash daily reflection podcast. You can find us on Twitter at daily reflector. You can read stories of recovery from our community at blog.dailyreflectionpodcast.com. Please don't forget to give us a rating on your podcast app. We greatly appreciate it. This podcast was produced by Lee McGinnis and Michael Lynn. Editing services by Jeff Bame.